0: Chapter 10 of Bill the Conqueror by P. G. Woodhouse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Chase Continues. The callousness of nature in times of human suffering has been commented on so often by poets and others that it has become a truism. If nature had possessed a heart, the day following that on which sir george pike and his young assistant had visited the office of mr wilfrid slingsby would have been one of dark clouds and weeping skies as it was it reached a level of bright serenity that had not been equalled in london since the summer of the previous year tilbury street whose inhabitants still seemed to be boiling cabbage as if their lives depended on it stewed in the sunshine so that horses drooped their heads and strong men went gaspingly about their work counting the minutes till the pubs should open the pavement in front of tilbury house was all inlaid with patines of bright gold and sparrows revelling in the warmth chirped merrily as they lunched in the gutters in a word all nature smiled nevertheless as has been suggested by our opening remarks there were aching hearts in tilbury street hearts to which the glorious weather brought no balm chief among these was that of percy pillbeam he sat in the office of society spice in that dismal half-hour that precedes luncheon brooding miserably of all sad words of tongue or pen the saddest are these it might have been and the thought of how narrowly he had missed pulling off the coup of a lifetime gnawed at pillbeam's vitals like a vulture if only flick had proved less elusive what a triumph would have been his sir george would have showered commendation upon him and what is more could hardly in decency have avoided giving him a handsome rise of salary instead of which it is a defect in the characters of napoleonic men that they are apt to demand from their subordinates success and nothing but success to come within an ace of triumph advances the subordinate's stock not at all indeed it rather depreciates it pillbeam realized that he would now be standing considerably higher in sir george's esteem if he had never got on flick's trail at all his employer had exhibited a disquieting disposition to blame him for everything that had happened number seven paradise walk earlsfield had proved when reached after a long and expensive journey in a taxicab to be an evil-smelling bird-and-snake-shop owned by a dirty and cheerful old man with grey whiskers and a skull-cap who had proceeded to answer their inquiries for flick by urging them to examine his stock with a view to purchase sir george had read into the man's words a suspicious evasiveness and it had been his idea that they should sit down and wait the memory of that vigil had seared pillbeam's soul deeply and the recollection of the long green snake which he had suddenly found nestling in his lap was destined to haunt him for many days eventually the realization that mr slingsby in his low fashion had sent them to a false address had dawned upon them both at about the same time and they had gone away pursued to the last by the owner of the shop, who wanted to do a sacrifice deal on a parrot. The last they had seen of him, before threading their way through the local murderers, and starting back to civilization, he was standing in the street with the parrot on his shoulder, doing some spirited price-cutting. It was just about this point that Sir George had become peevish. Pillbeam sighed it was hard that he should be blamed for what was none of his fault. Sir George's statement that he ought to have had the sense to know that a man like Slingsby, with one eye black and the other gleaming with the light of pure deceit, would naturally send them to the wrong address, struck him as unjust. Still there it was— he had failed and he was suffering the penalty always meted out to failure in tilbury house he had just begun to busy himself with the revision of an article on plague spots of the west end he was alone in the office today, roderick being absent with a cold in the head when a boy in buttons entered bearing a form "Jem to see you sir pillbeam took the form listlessly His sufferings had had the effect of subduing his normal pep and ginger, and for a moment, so greatly did he desire solitude in his hour of travail, he had the churlish intention of telling the boy to say that he was out. Then his eye fell on the name written on the paper in his hand. Judson Coker? Something stirred at the back of Pillbeam's mind. Coker! Why was that name vaguely familiar? Coker? Why were those two simple syllables somehow oddly significant? Coker? Where had he heard? He gasped, awed by the sudden suspicion of a terrific possibility. Now he knew where he had heard the name before. Goodbye, Mr. Coker? They were the last words that infernal girl, for so he was now unchivalrously accustomed to think of Flick, had spoken before going into her office-building. Goodbye, Mr. Coker.' He remembered it, distinctly. And then he had asked her if she would be coming to dinner, and she had said, "'Of course.' What could this mean but that she was in the habit of visiting this Coker so frequently that her presence at his dinner-table had become a matter of routine? "'What sort of a looking fellow is he?' he cried the boy in buttons seemed perplexed it was not usual for the editorial staff of society spice to demand word portraits of visitors a kind of bloke he said vaguely pillbeam perceived that to continue examining this unprofitable witness would be wasting time the thing to do was to have the fellow up and inspect him face to face unusual as the name coker was he dared not allow himself to hope that this could be the same man that would be too much like a miracle yet as he waited nervously pulling at his small mustache he could not keep himself from hoping and when the door opened and judson was ushered in he saw with a pang of excitement which seemed to stop his heart beating that his hope had been fulfilled the million to one chance had come off this was the fellow he had seen yesterday in saint mary come in come in he cried ecstatically do take a seat won't you thanks said judson a little surprised at this cordiality but rendered by it distinctly happier, it began to look to Judson as though his mission was to be plain sailing. It was the story which Flick had told on visiting Marmont Mansions on the previous evening that had brought Judson Coker to day to the office of Society Spice. Flick's description of Pillbeam's pursuit and how she had eluded it had been spirited and absorbing. But though all of it had interested him, the point that interested him most had been the revelation that Roderick was not the only official in charge of things at the Spice office. His knowledge of the inner workings of weekly paper offices was slight, and he had assumed until now that the only person to whom he could apply for a correction of that paragraph about Toddy von Reiter and the silks was the fellow who had batted Bill West over the head with his stick obviously a man of the worst and one from whom it would be hopeless to seek justice the discovery that roderick had a partner altered the whole aspect of the affair he had come here of course in a spirit of the utmost weariness and caution very much on his guard judson was on no account he realized must he let fall a word that would establish in the mind of this man a connection between himself and flick Pillbeam, he understood from Flick's narrative, was acting as a sort of amateur bloodhound, as far as she was concerned. It caused Judson a faint amusement as he sat down, to reflect what a lot this man would give, to know that he lived in a flat to which the girl he was hunting came every night for dinner. "'What did you want to see me about?' asked Pillbeam. "'Well, it's like this.' judson began you had a piece in your paper a couple of weeks ago pillbeam looked at his watch i didn't know it was so late he said you haven't lunched yet have you no said judson thrilled from head to foot by a sudden spasm of hope in his wildest dreams he had never foreseen a bit of luck like this how about coming out and having a bite I can see you've got all sorts of interesting things to tell me, and we can talk better at lunch.' "'So we can,' said Judson, enthusiastically. "'So we can.' "'You're American, aren't you?' said Pilbeam. "'Yes.' "'Then we'll go to the Cheshire Cheese. You must see the Cheshire Cheese. You aren't a teetotaler, by any chance?' "'No!' said judson vehemently i only ask because they have some rather special port port whispered judson tawny port judson's eyes closed for a moment in a prayerful ecstasy lead me to it he said in a low reverent voice it is strange how the views of different people concerning any given individual can differ there were men in london dozens of them who heartily disliked percy pillbeam if you had asked Wilfrid slingsby what he thought of the young man behind Society spice it would have taken him ten minutes to reply and scarcely a word of his remarks would have been printable yet judson coker found him one of the most delightful fellows he had ever met the cheshire cheese that historic tavern pleased Judson immensely. Its old associations, it is true, made but small appeal to him, and he was only tepidly interested in Dr. Johnson's chair. But the lark steak-and-kidney pudding, that famous specialty of the house, went with a bang from start to finish. Washed down with tankards of old ale, it appealed to all that was best and deepest in Judson, by the time the tawny port arrived he was in a mood so mellowed that it was difficult for him to realize that the man with the slightly blurred outline sitting opposite him had not been a trusted friend since the days of boyhood besides apart altogether from the port and the old ale Pillbeam had endeared himself to Judson by his thoroughly sympathetic and understanding attitude in the matter of that Silks article. It was unforgivable, declared Pillbeam, warmly, that such a mistake should have occurred. But a man of the world like Judson would understand how hard it was to keep a paper like Society Spice free from these occasional errors. Of course, they would creep in from time to time exactly but it should be corrected in the very next issue awfully good of you said judson not at all not at all said pillbeam oh but it is no no oh but it is not a bit oh but it is but it does but it is insisted judson with enthusiasm he drained his glass and gazed with goggle-eyed affection at this obliging man whom he liked he was now convinced quite a good deal better than any one else in the world i'll write an article myself said pillbeam putting the matter straight and look here we don't want any more mistakes i'd better send you proofs how's that proofs no sir Judson waved his hand in a wide and generous gesture. Don't want any proofs. Take your word for it. Proofs of the article, explained Pillbeam gently, so that you can see it before it appears. Oh, ah! Where shall I send it? Nine, Marmot Mansions, Battersea. Right, said Pillbeam, and now, he went on, for triumph had made him kindly tell me all about the fifth avenue silks you must have had a great time i can't think how you ever happened to get the idea it was a flushed and uplifted pillbeam who parted from judson outside the Cheshire cheese at a few minutes after two and made his way with great strides down fleet street to tilbury house the sight of sir george's limousine drawn up at the curb told him that his employer had returned from lunch he went straight up to the office on the fourth floor well said sir george his manner was distant but Pilbeam had been prepared for a cold reception he would he told himself soon thaw the ice i have great news sir george i have found out where we can make inquiries of miss there was an uncomfortable pause Pilbeam had forgotten the name, and so had Sir George. The latter, after a moment of swift thinking, decided on candour. "'Perhaps I had better tell you, Pilbeam. I am sure that you will treat the information in the strictest confidence.' "'Quite.' "'The girl is my niece.' "'Is that so?' said Pilbeam, trying to inject a sharp amazement into his voice." my niece repeated sir george with gloomy impressiveness it makes me all the happier that i have found her said pillbeam devoutly found her well amended pillbeam found the place which she seems to be visiting every day he told his story with the crisp expertness of one accustomed to squashing the vice of a great city into a column and a quarter "'Sir George listened, rapt. "'Pillbeam,' he said, "'I knew all along that I could rely on you. "'It is very kind of you to say so, Sir George. "'I train my young men to be bright, "'and you are the brightest of them all. "'You may take this note to the cashier.' "'I will,' said Pillbeam fervently, "'pocketing the slip of paper.' thank you sir george rose i shall go at once to this marmont Mansions you speak of i shall see this man Coker. i don't think he will be in for some time said pillbeam when i left him he was saying something about going and having a nap in the park then i will wait for him and when i see him said sir george portentously i shall stand no nonsense a powerful car was standing outside marmont mansions when sir george pike arrived at the storm centre beside it one foot on the running board a pleasant-faced young man of impressive physique smoked a cigarette this young man watched sir george as he alighted and approached he had no recollection of ever having seen sir george before nor did his appearance seem in any way familiar to the older man. Yet they had met, and in dramatic circumstances. Sir George was peering up at the building. His chauffeur had told him that this was Marmont Mansions, but there was no name over the door to prove it. He decided to seek a further opinion. "'I am looking for Marmont Mansions Battersea.' "'Right here,' said the young man agreeably. "'Thank you.' "'Not at all.' nice day very said sir george he passed through the doorway the young man who seemed to be expecting someone resumed his vigil presently he smiled and waved his hand a girl in a floppy and unbecoming seal-skin coat was advancing briskly along the pavement sir george's chauffeur sitting stolidly at his wheel a few yards down the street eyed her with approval he had a nice taste in female beauty and not even the sealskin coat could hide the fact that flick was an unusually pretty girl here i am said flick haven't i been quick what do you think of the coat fine said bill it isn't it's awful but it was the only thing i could get that was warm enough i borrowed it from my landlady she climbed into the car and settled herself cosily the idea of hiring a car and taking flick for a drive out into the country had come to bill as a luminous inspiration while they lunched together in the neighbourhood of shaftesbury avenue a locality which seemed well outside the danger zone haunted by sir george pike and his minions the fineness of the day had not escaped their notice and they had decided that it would be unwise to waste it bill moreover being a young man used to the possession of a car of his own had been experiencing for some days that restless and starved sensation which comes to habitual motorists whose motoring is cut off for any long period. His fingers itched to close themselves over a wheel again, and he had sent Flick off to her lodgings to borrow a warm coat while he negotiated for the hire of a car for the afternoon. He climbed in after her. "'Where would you like to go?' it's lovely out at hindhead all right how do you get there and of course anywhere down on the river is wonderful well you choose but they were destined to go that afternoon neither to hindhead's majestic heights nor to any silvery reach of old thames while flick was still trying to make her choice the decision was taken out of her hands bill leaning back in a restful attitude was startled by a little squeak of dismay and looking up saw that she was staring with round and horrified eyes at something beyond him turning his head he perceived that the stout man who had asked him for marmont mansions had returned and was coming out of the doorway quick gasped flick oh be quick bill was quick though not an abnormally intelligent young man he gathered that this was no time for waiting and asking questions he started the car without a word and they began to glide off and as they did so the stout man uttered a sharp bellow and became a thing of leaping activity the reappearance of sir george at this point was due to the fact that he had got tired of ringing the bell of number nine there appeared to be nobody at home and he had decided that it would be more comfortable to wait and he intended to wait for hours if necessary down below in his limousine the sight of flick seemed to him as it had seemed to percy pillbeam twenty-four hours earlier direct evidence that providence looks after the righteous it was only when he saw her being borne rapidly away from him that he realized that his position was not so advantageous as he had supposed in this crisis, Sir George lost his head. He shouted uselessly. He galloped along the pavement. Not until Bill's car was twenty yards away and moving swiftly westward along the Prince of Wales Road, did it occur to him that he too had a car, and that the pursuit could be conducted far more agreeably on wheels than afoot. He waved like a semaphore to his chauffeur, "Hi, hi!" He shouted here hi briggs come on you fool the chauffeur blandly unemotional stepped with dignity on his self-starter he drew up beside his fermenting employer sir george sprang in and gesticulated with both hands in the direction of albert road the corner of which bill and his companion had just turned at a high rate of speed "Uh, uh," gurgled sir george The chauffeur touched his cap aloofly. He gathered that his employer wished him to pursue the other car, but he was not thrilled. It took more than this sort of thing to excite Augustus Briggs. "'That was Uncle George,' said Flick. Bill had deduced as much. He nodded and glanced over his shoulder. "'It still is.' he replied briefly, and drove his foot down on the accelerator. They whirred over the Albert Bridge. End of chapter 10